Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Again, with another edition of Spin the Rally Pod, the lockdown editions. I'm Lisa Rose Sullivan, a rally fan, and as always, I'm joined by the big mouths, the motor mouths, the men who know what they're talking about. The voice of rally, Colin Clark, former team boss George Donaldson, and senior staff writer at Dirtfish.com, the one, the only David Evans. And I've got to admit, it's lovely to have your company once again. Absolutely glorious weather in my part of the UK at the moment. We're, it's 32 degrees currently where Ooh. I'm sitting in my cabin, which is obviously slightly warmer than it is outside. But George, I understand you've even got sun up in Scotland. Yes, it's a really, I mean, it's probably the warmest day of the whole year. 18.8 degrees. It's incredible. It's just like being in the safari. It's, really. like, being, it's, like, it's like being in the safari in the Arctic Circle for any normal person. God, it's horrible. It is actually sunny today. Which is uh, how I'm very clumsily segueing into our first talking point yeah. today, Colin and David. But can I can I can I just take exception briefly? Oh, to of course. All of this nonsense that people are talking about—it's the warmest day of the year. Of course, it is. It's May. You know, well. it's not really saying a lot, is it? You know, last month was April. See, most, not traditionally a very warm month. Most but British I people have... love the weather, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. Uh, I've got some very important news, though. While I was waiting for this podcast to start, yeah. uh, I thought I'd have a bit of a clean-up of the computer. So I just... You know those, co- co- those cotton bud things? Yeah. yeah. The, the the cotton bud thing. So I, I was busy with the cotton bud, and then the cotton bud snapped, snapped in two. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at it, thinking, this is very important consumer advice here. If you were still using an action man, you could use half of a cotton bud, and you could put them in his hands, and they could be perfect drumsticks. <laughs> Remarkable. I was thinking Honestly, Action Man had to be a hand grenade, but there you go. true. Action Man wouldn't you. really be playing the drums, would he? David, point, David has been I'm in worried. lockdown far too long, long especially <laughs> when you resort to cleaning your keyboard like that as well. No, I, th- Tell I me, think David, I made a bit were, of a breakthrough. Were the heritage um, uh, cotton buds, because the old ones used to be plastic and the new ones are paper. Yeah. I know these are paper. That's the problem. They're, they're, they're paper. Yeah, yeah. Pro- yeah. That is the problem. Yeah. Oh no, that's well, that's yeah. Right, that's, no, I think. That, pop that on, the, on. Put that on the list of notes. We spoke about cotton buds, um, <laughs> but what we were going to talk about first was Colin's thought mm-hmm. that maybe it's time for a radical rethink of the WRC. Now I'm reading off your notes here, Colin. I'm not claiming any of these for my own. Eighteen long or 14 events, maybe, in 2021. Mix it up, maybe. Some doubleheaders in the same country. I mean, there's a lot there. And, of course, we're talking about um, the possibility of the events that should have run this year, Safari Rally, for example, then trying to find their place again in next year's calendar. 
Yeah, at least you didn't quite read it properly. <laughs> 18 long. 18 I didn't long. read it at all. <laughs> Thanks, David. You don't read an awful lot that I send you, it's fair to say. Uh, no, no. Well, here's the thing. Eight long is what I suggested. And, and oh, maybe did I say 18? You did. You did. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Which would, would, be, would be a rather intense year. Uh, listen, you know, I, we're, we're re-looking at a lot of things in our lives, aren't we, Um for post-COVID, and, and it's you know it's quite right. remarkable how resilient people are, communities are, countries are, and and you know people are accepting that things have to change. You know, I think in in our sport that will also be the same situation. We've talked a lot about it, about the you know potentially the changes in terms of budgets that are available from manufacturers from sponsors. You know, but there are other things, there are other implications. Travel is going to become such a big issue, and and. You know, the days where the likes of Formula One go to 22, 23, 24 countries in a year, is that a realistic and a sensible uh, approach in an environment where really people are being discouraged from travelling? And, you know, if that's the case, if we're having pressure put on us to maybe cut down the number of of rounds that, that any sporting championship is involved in, then we might have to take a look again at the way that the rally calendar is formulated. And, you know, I, I just assumed, well, we'll just go shorter rallies and maybe a few more rallies. But no, the answer could be, could be that we go back to a, uh, you know, a very, uh, in terms of the numbers, a small calendar, so eight, nine rounds maybe. But let's go back to five-day events. So we get just as much rallying in the year, but, you know, we're only travelling as a circus, as a WRC circus, to eight countries in the year. We're only going to one uh, long haul event, perhaps we might even we might even consider doing two events back to back in the same country, two different rallies, maybe one on tarmac, maybe one on gravel, to cut down on this need to constantly travel. Because I genuinely think, boys and girls, that there'll be a lot of pressure on everyone, whether you're a corporate business, whether you're a sport, whether you're a fan. There'll be a lot of pressure on us over the next few years to cut back on our travel. That's my thinking, boys and girls. I don't know what you boys think, David. Well, tell me then, Cole, which long haul do we go to next year? Safari. Why? Because because it's traditionally a, a, the, the longest of the long events. It's something different. Um, and, you know, if it, if it had to, they could send the trucks overland there. Japan has massive commercial importance to the championship. Uh, listen, I'm, 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 I'm thinking it's a, it's a different commercial world where commercial realities will change. Uh, and we're, mm. it is, it absolutely will be. Now, listen, it's a controversial view because we know the more rounds that you get in, the more money can be generated for the promoter. And, and you know, if you extrapolate that out, then perhaps the more money that can be spent on promoting the championship. But, you know, again, we might be forced into these situations. What worries me is that we are forced into this kind of situation and we haven't thought about it. We haven't planned for it. And all of a sudden, it's an absolute cluster or whatever they call it uh you know um i don't know i don't know it's just it's, it's 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 something i'm not saying this is the way forward but what i'm saying is it's something potentially that we could be thinking about i think you know you've got to say that you are if you restricted it to eight potentially eight european events what you would do is you would lose some events yeah. uh certain rallies would would just think you know we've got no chance but what you would generally do is when you limit supply you drive demand don't you so you know you would generate potentially more income from the promoter from each event you know the price of, of one of those eight rounds would go up uh, and 
fundamentally, the standards would have to be much higher, not much higher. You know, that's inferring that they're not particularly high now. They are, of course. But, you know, any kind of minor spectator issue or safety issue would absolutely finish an event because you've suddenly got three, four, five rallies elsewhere in Europe that are absolutely primed, ready with the cash to come straight in. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe it can drive standards and it can drive revenue for the promoter. up. Equally, you've got to balance that with the fact that the promoter suddenly loses revenue from six, five or six other events. Uh, you know, at the moment, Cole, everything, everything, if everything is not on the table, we are not doing our jobs as a sport. It's quite simple. Well, yeah, and we're not doing our jobs as, as media covering the sport uh, if we're not discussing them, you know, because we're discussing it because the fans are discussing it, because the fans it, want to know the, the, the ramifications of all this. It, it's important for us to discuss, to discuss it. Of course it is, but we're commentators. You know, what we need to know is that within the corridors of power uh, in Geneva and in Paris and all around the world, that the, the people who really, really matter are looking at this bigger, bigger picture because, at the you know, at times I just do... No, I'm, I'm sure they are, but you know that some of the stories that I hear about the the 2022 cars, um, and the, you know the the reluctance um, within various parties uh, to 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 even consider change to those is is worrying, you know, because we do have to look, you know, as you quite rightly point out, the world will look very differently when we come out of this, and we need to adapt to that. Um, I, I don't know. It's who it's, gets it's to one... pick which events we have, because as as you mentioned there, the, the monetary concerns here, it's going to be worth so much more to those that do get chosen, and those that don't get chosen in the shorter calendar will struggle to maintain the sport in their country potentially. Well, well, therein lies exactly the problem, Lise, because you know the promoter picks. The, the rallies that it wants, it does its deals, it makes its agreements. Uh, so you'd say the promoter chooses the calendar, but ultimately the, promo- the calendar has to be ratified by the governing body. So ultimately the FIA has the final say. And that, to me, is always where it's gone wrong because, you know, essentially the FIA is renting a shop to the WRC promoter, but it's then telling WRC promoter what it can sell in that shop. Um, and usually, you know, there's, there's absolute agreement on everything. and But... Can you imagine, you know, Bernie Eccleston was one of the great motorsporting promoters. He did the calendar for Formula One. He did that calendar. There was very, very rarely any debate uh, over that calendar. And that's a position for me that we should be in. You know, it's if the promoter has a long-term agreement with the governing body, it should be theirs to promote. It should be their calendar. They choose, you know, and stand and fall by it. I agree with that entirely. George, would you reckon to the uh, the calendar conundrum? Well, Colin, I reckon absolutely, as you know, we need to be dynamic. Um, I am very anxious that we don't go the way of the dodo, yeah. you know, become extinct. Um, yeah, what happened the to next, the dodo? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, it, as I said, it became extinct. Um, now, we're looking really uh, at the massive opportunity here to, to change rallying uh, radically, but hopefully staying with the flavour of our events. But, you know, Colin, I think you mentioned double headers there. Uh, double headers, UK. So we could do we could do a, a one weekend in Wales and another weekend in Kielder and the Lakes or Scotland or Northern Ireland. And there's massive amount of opportunity to make something really incredible there. Um, 
Cataluma Valley, I mean, I'm just giving a couple of examples here, could lend itself to an asphalt rally down in, in, in the, say, say north of Barcelona for asphalt, south of Bar- Barcelona for gravel. Great yep. stages in, in both areas. Now, New Zealand, the North Ireland, has massive capability to do several double headers. But why don't exactly, we get the South Island? Yeah. It's only a 20-minute boat ride. Okay, I think it's an hour and a half's boat ride. Off but Zealand, fairly yeah. simple. Doesn't involve long haul. We're all the way there. Relatively cheap to stay. Just oh, George, I have. another event George. next weekend. What George, an incredible opportunity. One, one, of, one of the best rallies I have ever been to for stages was the Otago Rally. And I only saw a small fraction of it. You're quite right. New Zealand would be magnificent. Yeah, well, I've only seen the uh, the South Stages, uh, Colin, in old movies. I never, ever got there myself. Uh, but the, the, the movies, and it's, look them up, the, the early 80s movies when Toyota won on incredibly fast stages with a two-wheel drive against the four-wheel drive Audis. And, and I think the Peugeots as well, or, or the Lancers. No, it must have been the Peugeots. So in, in Group B times... And it was before the Lancia um, uh, Delta um, S4 thing that they did. So, yeah, so incredible, incredible stages and what an unbelievable opportunity to, to do something uh, amazing at that point. So um, I think uh, I think we need to be dynamic and look to that, but, you know. Yeah, We've got yeah, these awesome. restrictions. Yes. Let's... Uh, let's Let's blend ourselves into the move and be unbelievably dynamic to catch But, George, and here's what we've got in our favour. We've often said that fans and, you know, big number of fans uh, sometimes work against us. And, and you were talking... But, but, but the, thing, the, thing, the thing with... You know, we watched the football from the Bundesliga last weekend and it was bizarre. It was bizarre. Top-level football, obviously, but played in front of no fans. It was just odd the whole atmosphere was odd and i think you'll find a similar thing if not exactly the same with with motor racing events at circuits when there are no fans it'll be odd rallying without fans on the stages you won't notice any difference you won't you you won't notice any difference that's not just the point of spectators though is it because the spectators also then but, but become my, my evangelists is, for the sport is, well, the spectators at, at football matches at stadium events at circuit events, add to the atmosphere. They add to the spectacle. Spectators yeah. in our event, if a television programme is made well, spectators don't add anything to the atmosphere unless you get the incredible scenes like we get in Argentina uh, and occasionally. Colin, in, the days, in these no, no, days no. of COVID restrictions, um, we, can, we can look at fans on stages uh, really... Um, they, they bring us they bring us nothing except safety concerns yes. you know we can think of <laughs> photographers <laughs> they 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 were some of the worst but uh, not, not george nor any of our good friends of professional photographers the, pro- the problem is not professional photographers yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I mean, you know we can really limit spectators to very short areas of stages and control them well well i'm i'm kind of thinking that spectators should go back to the old uh, the old uh, professional guerrilla spectating that i uh, that i used to do along with a number of other friends before the days of uh, restricted access and well as as those days started and and you you didn't really know where the stages ran you had to figure it out so it was quite good fun i haven't seen i haven't i've got to be honest i haven't seen any of these i haven't seen any of these guerrillas spectating i'm disappointed <laughs> I need to get out much more. 
Do you know what? If, if, if they, David, if they put a stage around Trentham Gardens again, I think it's probably 20 years since they went around um, Trentham Gardens. It must be 20 years. Uh, you would see chimpanzee spectators. Because there's, there, there's a monkey park there now. So you would see those. You might not see gorillas, but you'd see chimpanzees. Count me in. <laughs> One thing I did want to ask, you know, you're talking about the different, um, the fact that we've got to try and look to see what might be happening in 2021. Are we looking at any kind of innovation? And I'm not specifically thinking about the way that Rally cl- Rally Cross evolved from a, a very difficult situation, but are we looking at other kinds of innovation in the sport to make it possible to run a full we calendar? We have to be. We have to. <laughs> Lisa, I mean, my, I, I, you mentioned Rallycross, and, and uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Rallycross, uh, not in the same way I am of Rally, but Rallycross was born out of a cancelled rally. Yeah. Cancel, uh, the REC rally was cancelled in, I think, 1967 yeah. for a foot and mouth yeah. outbreak. We couldn't move around the country. I wasn't All the teams then. were here in, in, in Britain, and Rallycross was born. And what a spectacle. It was a huge TV event over several days. I can remember watching it in black and white. Amazing. So look, there's a huge opportunity it, to, to develop and, and innovate. Is. We can have some traditional events and then some rally cross type events. Maybe not rally cross because that's already established, but let's look at other events. Look what Red Bull do. Amazing, amazing spectacles. Almost stadium events bringing the, the rally to the people in a Gymkana. slightly different way. The Gymkhana. Thank you, uh, Lisa. Mm. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, we've got the race to the clouds. Um, that, I mean, that used to basically <laughs> be Pikes Peak. What an incredible event to run as a rally stage. Totally valid. Would cost the teams relatively little in terms of the number of personnel they have to go. But, but actually... Pikes Peak is gone now because it's now an asphalt blast up a hill and our rally cars, even with all their fabulous power, wouldn't be that much of a spectacle. So I really think we need to be looking at including some of those events and maybe having these double headers. There's, there's a huge opportunity for innovation. Very, very exciting George, times. But George, when, when we did our Dirtfish debates with the team bosses, we had Adamo, we had Mackinnon and we had Rich Milner from M-Sport. And what Rich Milner warned against was... was taking it so far that it wasn't recognisable as rally. He said, we do have to innovate, we do have to look at different formats, but it still has to be rallying. And that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge. It, it absolutely is the challenge, Colin. But look, we've got such a rich tapestry of events and opportunities. You know, we've already talked about double-headering some events. Who would complain about a double-header in Catalonia? A, a week a week on gravel and a week on asphalt. I mean, from a spectator's point of view, if we're allowed spectators, which I'm sure in the very near future we will be again, you go down there, instead of taking a week's holiday, you take two and you get two WRC rallies for the, basically for very little more than the price of one. New Zealand becomes a better value for people to come from the other side of the world down there. Brilliant. Oh, I want to go to North America and see, see this race to the clouds. Unbelievable opportunities. You no, know, let's look at everything as a positive, not a negative. But yes, let's keep the flavour of rally, of course. But we've 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 had we've had these kind of events, haven't we? You know, you look at the at the Faf Rally Sprint, yeah. uh, and and stuff like that. You know, we've seen them these kind of promotional events. So let's look at a way of of maybe doing that. But you know, innovation is born out of necessity, isn't it? And and for sure, there will be a necessity next year for a World Rally Championship to happen. It will not be uh, in the same form that we, we've seen it in previous years. So let's absolutely look to... Um 
to innovate. And I think, you know, the, the suggestions there from Colt, it makes a lot of sense. So we were going to move on to the next point about the fact that Motorsport UK is addressing the issue about having two people in a car in the post-COVID-19 event and their policy will maybe get rid of the co-driver. That's not rallying, surely. Let's that, let's look, let's well, let's wait, wait, wait. Let, let's let's rewind a touch. Rewind a touch. They're not they're not suggesting that at least. What they're saying is they can't see a situation where you could have two people in the car. So what they've said is passenger rides and co-drivers in the near future. So they're not suggesting we get rid of the co-driver, but more or less by implication, they're suggesting that until things change dramatically, rallying won't be viable because we need to have two people in the car. I, but this is, where, okay. this is where innovation comes in again. We, we I, need to come up with some... Go on, so, sorry, Carl, I, I completely disagree. They are, you know... That, by, okay, your, your bit, your interpretation is right. They are suggesting getting rid of them. But, you know, what really frustrates me about that document that, uh, that came out from Motorsport UK is the absolute wooliness. And, you yeah. know, in my opinion, yeah. the... the the, the inability to grasp the weight that their words carry. You know, they... I, I, it was almost a throwaway line. Yeah, I agree with you. I've got it here in front of me. And, and you know, the, the bit the in the important consideration section, part one, it is unlikely that vehicle sharing passengers or co-drivers will be permitted while social, dis- social distancing is respected. Okay, that's, you know, that's not particularly heavyweight. But then we go into Rally Timed Trial Organiser Guide. Uh, and it says... In the first phase of re-establishing rallying to respect government requirements for social distancing, the assumption has been made that vehicles must be single occupancy with no passengers or navigators and no shared driving. This is our governing body that is assuming, you know, where, I'm sorry, that, it just infuriated me when I read that. These people, these people, our governing body, I don't, I can't, (laughs) see that they can understand the impact that they're having on private teams, you know, all the way from your man who who builds one single car, weight call, who makes Sorry. one car, all the way up to Malcolm Wilson. Uh, ultimately, they've said right now, rallying is finished, you know, because we can do time trials, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But rallying with... Two people in the car, no. Why not Why not do essentially what Australia did? You know, Australia, when they launched their return to race, their document, I've also got that here. So their statement on, on two people in the car, rallying and off-road racing may commence, uh, but will be the subject of a specific plan developed by Motorsport Australia. There we go, a holding statement. Not saying uh, it is unlikely uh, and then that it is assumed. No, there's none of that from Australia. But we get that. And, you know, the bit that really, 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 really gets me is so they're now. So on one hand, they're saying it's unlikely we're going to uh, have um, co-drivers in the car, blah, blah, blah. Yet what's happening with Rally Rally Great Britain? As far as we know right now, Rally GB is happening. So are they essentially saying that all of these other rallies, no, you can't run those, but we'll continue to prepare our round of the world championship in, in October. We'll carry on with that. We'll carry on promoting the, what is it, Galloway Hills as a second round, the restart of, of British Rally Championship in September. Yeah, that's okay, but nothing else. You know, there is, I'm just unbelievably frustrated that this has come out. You're incensed, David. You're incensed. It's communicated. I don't know. You know, the bit in the important considerations, that you know, there's this bit that it it reads, life should not feel normal at this time. You know, what is this sort of commentary doing 
in a, what is essentially okay it's a document of guidance but i i just i read through it in preparation for the for the pod you know i i skim read it when it came on monday and it just it just made my blood boil um and yeah. it, i just think it's it's not considered and you know i would like these people to talk to all of the people that have phoned me this week and said we're finished we're doomed you know we 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 thought there was a, a chink of light coming there's not you know not when your governing body says no for now no in australia they say maybe we'll come back to you we'll have a think here no I, I, David, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I agree entirely with what you're saying. I tell you what, I've rarely heard you so uh, emotionally involved in something, and I can tell exactly what it means to you. But I, I really just read the headline. I, I didn't read in depth the, de- the depth that you've read. That is nonsense. That is utter nonsense, you know, because there are solutions if this there is are, a real problem. There are, you there know, are why, why the hell not? Why not? Okay, testing is a huge issue in this country right now. If we are serious about getting rallying back, I, I, I mean, maybe this is the most ridiculous suggestion, but presumably somewhere there is a market for testing kits. Why don't we buy some testing kits? I know it is, it, you know, our absolute priority has to be the NHS. It has to be um, the, the key workers. So once we have absolutely ensured that all of the key workers, all of the NHS, all of that testing, all of the people who genuinely need these testing kits, once they've got them, then let's try to buy some and let's get co-drivers and drivers tested. And if they're both negative or they've both had the, disease, the, the coronavirus, then surely they, I don't know. But you know, What that, do you do though? Do you stick them in solution, quarantine? David. Do you keep them away from the mechanics no. that are fixing the corners of the car? Do you do, no, you, do, you do the, the mechanics if, as well? If, you know? if, they're, if they're both negative, there's no problem. They can compete. And if they're, if they're not, if they're if they're they're tested positive, of course they can't compete. You know they're not welcome at the event. And it says, handily enough, it says in the in the guidelines, if you're demonstrating symptoms. Um, so here we are, guidance, uh, the event element guidance. Uh, ensure that signing on process emphasizes attendance only if well and not exhibiting any COVID nineteen symptoms. Which is which so, is problematic because that list of symptoms is growing day by day. And uh, I've just seen another article in one of the newspapers here in the UK saying that the the symptoms are much harder to actually knock down and they're now trying to take it away from saying flu-like symptoms which all of us have been looking for and are saying well actually no it's different it's aching muscles it's weird headaches it's shortness of breath it's feeling great and then a week later feeling rubbish and actually feeling rubbish for another month so I mean it's problematic to actually turn around and tell someone whether I mean, yes, having the test is going to say on that day you're clear. But if you bump guys, into somebody potentially in the service park who's got it, you'll be infected. Guys, I, I, mm. I, uh, I send uh, engineers off offshore at the moment du- during this crisis. And uh, so the, the separation we do is our, our crew arrive uh, up, up prior to, to mobilising two nights before they go. They, they go into effectively an isolation uh, in a hotel, if they're if they're from uh, outside, if they're not from outside uh, Aberdeen area, they can they can stay at home in isolation. They come in the next morning, they get tested, they go back into isolation. The test result comes back six to eight hours later. If they are clear, they continue to isolate, and the next morning they go off out and in, in the helicopter to the oil rig. Yeah, but and th- yeah, this well, is the point. This is the point. There are definite ways. Of 
of dealing yeah. with it. And I, and I agree with David's indignation. You know, it, it is it is more or less writing it off. But there are lots. You know, one of the things that, that instantly came to mind for me, and it's a bit of a silly one, but it's a solution. Is you know, two people living in the same household are perfectly entitled to share a car. That's within the regulations. You know, there, there's, yeah. there's, you know, I'm not suggesting all drivers and co-drivers move in together. But what I am saying, what I am saying, wise. but what I am saying is there are solutions. You don't have to write off perspex screens, some sort of screen or barrier in the car. As someone pointed out to me, I think yeah. it was a Fiat at one point had the co-driver in the back. Yeah. That's two meters, just about <laughs> in some cars. Yeah. There are solutions if you care to think about it. The easy, lazy non-committal, can't-be-arsed view is let's just write it off. And that appears on the face of it, and this is going to get me into trouble, I'm sure, uh, but that <laughs> appears to potentially be what's happened with that document, David. I, I, I think Dirtfish would just like to qualify that that is actually Colin's opinion. <laughs> no. Hey, 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 hey. Every single thing I say is my opinion. Every single thing I, I say is my opinion. I agree. I agree, Cole. But you know, I think it, it's it's perhaps a little harsh to 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 write it all off. You've taken my, I've loaded the gun, and and you fired it. <laughs> oh no, David! David, well, no, you I, fired I, the gun as well. Let's be honest. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, you did get a little. You did get a little aerated for you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, but I, I agree. You know, there is there are there are alternatives, and that's you know we don't even need a document which lists the alternatives. What we need is. The Australian approach, where we say, you know, we'll have a look at a, at a specific plan. Um, State, statement to, of intent. Exactly. That that's what we needed. Um, not as you say, Cole. Not the not this this these people saying no. It, you essentially you shall not pass. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's more to come on that. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm there sure is. they must have felt some fallout since the publication and, and, of that document. And you know the the just that mixed message of. You know, Wales Rally GB continues. So, are we assuming that you know this plan will be superseded uh, on October the whatever it is um, when when Rally GB starts, or when Galloway Hill starts? Uh, it's September the nineteenth or something, isn't it? Um, you know, <laughs> you're either confirming that something can happen. You know, the trouble is with all of this is that nobody knows. You know, we've talked a hundred times on this podcast about the fact that nobody knows what's around the corner. We don't. So, yeah, I, w- I would rather have seen us take the Australian approach and say, you know, essentially we'll find a plan, we'll find a way. What should have been around the corner is Rally Portugal. Oh. Mm. In fact, not just around Sad the corner. Noises. Right now, it, right we should have now. been through Shakedown and we should have been... What oh, have we been doing? Guys. Yeah, talk, talk us through what you would have been Luxury doing. Luxury of talking mm. about lovely rallies. Yeah, let's let's do, let's live this vicariously. If you were there now, where would you be, and what would you be doing? I we would have been to Shakedown. We would have been to the FIA press conference. There was there was a there is a ceremonial start, isn't there? A report? There is. It's a great one. Is it that you know, to the west, the east? Sorry. The west is the ocean. <laughs> to the east, the east of Porto. <laughs> to the east wet. of Porto. It's that lovely, you know, that lovely ancient old town with the, the castle, and they have the, the start outside the castle, and then they have done the last few years, 
and then they go off and do one stage, don't they? Uh, the, That's right. Lusada, is that Lusada, the Lusada, Lusada, yes. So they're, 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 I know exactly. Yeah, the... They go off and do the super special uh, at Lusada. That's generally how it starts. I think that was the same itinerary for this year. It's a, it's a great start. It, it's normally sunny. It's normally full of people. It's hot. It's dusty. It's just yeah, a great atmosphere. Yeah, you'd be hot, Beckham. Yeah, that's true. Can I, yeah, yeah, that that's that woolen sweater and cord trousers, <laughs> Beckham might not be the correct attire. No, I I'd take that now. I'd happily be standing sweating in in Portugal just to be on <laughs> a round of the world. Yeah, exactly, a round of the world championship. But I I tell you what though, George. You know, my first well, I don't know how many Portugal's it was. Uh, seven or eight at least mm. Portugal's was in the south, and and I spent a lot of that time with you. you did. And we yeah. spent a lot of time in cars, and I and you know I heard a lot of stories from you about the north and the great days of when it was up north, and you know the fact that you got lost, you couldn't find your way around. There were no road signs. The maps and, were and awful. It was just yeah. a proper. Well, yeah, you said it was a proper adventure, wasn't it? And I think that's the great thing. I think that sense of adventure with Rally Portugal is still there. But you know, back in the day when, when you were with Toyota, it was a proper adventure in Portugal. It was absolutely amazing. What a lovely country. What lovely people. And, I mean, going back into the, the, uh, the late 80s was the first time I went there. Not earlier than that. Uh, but it was, you know, it was pre-them pre joining Europe. I mean, Portugal was... Uh, it, I mean, it was... It was it was probably the poorest country, you know, per head of capita, um, um, you know, gross gross domestic product, whatever. It, you know, there wasn't a lot of wealth. You were looking at trucks driving up and down the road that you would find in Africa, cars that mm. were you know fifty years old and no headlights in them, driving past police cars. Nobody was caring about it. There was no none of that fabulous motorway network we've got now. There was a small dual carriageway out of Lisbon went for about 20 kilometres and then you were on a tar stone road um, uh, which was based on an old cobble road which was built back in the empire days you know going back 300 years uh, the most incredible uh, road road structure the national road road that was there but it wasn't like a brilliant condition the roads are still the same when you, you when you come off the motorways and it's but it's got great atmosphere and great character the food in Portugal is gorgeous. I really like the bread in Portugal because it's oh. like they, they have Scottish morning rolls, lovely, yeah. lovely soft rolls. Mm. Um, the, the, their, their cakes, the what, what the little cakes called? Um, pastel del natas, you know, and right. coffee, yeah. lovely what, coffee. What is that dish, George? What is that dish in, in Porto with the, the bread and the cheese and the meat oh. in a kind of... Have yeah. you tried that, David? Sandwich. It's, no, it's a kind of sandwich. I can't remember. But the food in it's Portugal, the seafood is amazing. The, the, there's yeah. lots of it. And everywhere you drive through, when you're but, off the motor, when you're driving along, you see this little square concrete building with a wee awning out the front. That's a cafe. And it's literally, there's sometimes not even any windows in these rooms, but they've got a proper coffee machine in there couple of plastic seats outside and you will find me sitting there with a few other maybe journalists or rally people and you just sit there for an hour or so coming back from shakedown if you don't have to go to the press conference the joy of doing those things the food the atmosphere the, the scenery occasional sound of a rally car going oh, wonderful past. the scenery in portugal is stunning the sound of rally cars in portugal when you're in the hills in the north echoing off of fabulous rock canyons 
these beautiful uh, stone roads, I would call them, because they're not dirt, they're stone um, bridges that you cross that are probably 500 years old. And you look at them and you think, what is this? It's been built of big rock slabs that you can't imagine even in this modern age could be put together. Uh, just the most yeah, the wonderful George, old it's, engineering. It's, it's... I love Portugal, you could probably tell. I love rally, the rally in Portugal. <laughs> but what a lovely place but, to but have I a rally. I think what makes it, I think all of those things make it, but what I think really makes it are the fans, particularly oh, up around Porto. Yeah. I mean, they are so, so but passionate about the sport and knowledgeable, David. Do you, do you not remember, though, the first, you know, like you, Carl, my first um, actual job working on Portugal was down the south in Algarve, in the Algarve. Uh, and I've got to be to be completely honest here. It kind of left me a little bit cold. You know, we stayed in that place. Well, oh, yeah. Villa, Villa, Villa Mora, Mora. Yeah. and you know, yeah. just I, you know, I one game that I simply don't get is golf. Um, so, and you know, the Algarve was just not really for me uh, at all. So it was an event I kind of endured uh, in those days. But then we started to go north, and we went. There was a ceremonial start in Lisbon. Yeah, uh, the first year, and then I think there was that there was a street stage uh, in Lisbon, just outside that beautiful yeah, on, town. And the hall big thing. slab roads uh, as well, gorgeous. Yeah, and then we started to get, and then we started to get the the Faf Rally Sprint before the event, uh, and suddenly you were being teased by the north, uh, and you know I remember vividly watching and watching and watching over and over and over again. I think it was the eighty eight Rally of Portugal, which we had uh, at home. We had the video. Uh, and there was this amazing scene of Mark Duez in a BMW M3 Afina car uh, coming out of that famous, coming down the hill and through the famous square left and then into the hairpin right on the fast stage, just in and in the fog and yeah. everything. And that was the Portugal I couldn't wait to get mm. to. And just, you know, now we're there. It's an absolute joy. It's a different rally. It's a different country. It's different people. You know, you and I, Cole, drove last year. We had a really early Oof. flight in. Uh, and we and we had one of those beautiful uh, egg custard things for breakfast, probably mm, two. Yeah, um, oh, three. Cup of coffee. So good. <laughs> and and then we drove up to Faf, didn't we? And and, we and through and and through that exact bit of road, past those huge rocks that you're talking about, George, where where those fans have. Um... I'm not in. I'm not in. Okay, I'm not in. If it's for me, I'm not in. <laughs> Who is that? It was my apologies. Who is that? Um, those Your those mind. rocks where the where the fans have have done the huge McRayland thing, uh, and then you know yeah. you you carry on. You go through that junction where they've painted it all on the road. And for me, you know that it was it was just unbelievable to actually drive that bit of road, go through that hairpin right, and up to the jump. And yeah. it's it is a wonderful wonderful part of the world. And it's but, but I, the McRae thing I love, David, because. You know, they've had some great rally drivers from Portugal over the years. But I would imagine if you asked, you know, 100 Portuguese rally fans who their favourite driver was, an awful lot of them would say McRae. There's a huge amount of adulation yeah. for McRae still in Portugal, isn't there? And, and it's great to see that, you know, every year that we went back, that big rock, they freshly painted it, they painted yeah. the big flag <laughs> on the roads. You know, yeah. it, it, just, it, it the whole thing, the whole thing about Portugal was just a joy from when we arrived to when we left. It was I mean, the spectators used to be the spectators used to be crazy, Colin, which was why we lost. Yeah. Why we lost Portugal yeah. rally. Um, ultimately, yeah. that that is why we lost it. But but I have to say, I've been across the Fafé jump in a Group A rally car several times, and eventually, I just I just oh. had to say to Mr. Armin Schwartz, 
let me out and <laughs> let me out the next time you turn the car. <laughs> he was practicing to see how far he could go and turn the next corner. So he was just turning, you know, we, we were doing it. So Klaus Fischer had, had, had been a little bit, uh, was a little bit sore. So I jumped into the car because he needed, he needed the balance in the car to see how far it could go. This was on the recce when you still you, rallied with full group A cars. And you can go a long, long way on that well, jump, can't you, George? I swear, you know, I it... swear, David, we were landing and literally turning into that corner. If that's what it felt yeah. like to me. That... I mean, what, actually, how far it was, I've no idea. But you were in the 80 air. Meters. It, it fit... 80 metres. 80. Schwartz had a record for that jump, it, didn't he? Was it, it that one that Schwartz it was that had year. It was that years? year he had it. <laughs> because that was the well. year. Because we practiced <laughs> I, it. I practiced I... it with him. He was incredible. But the car, I mean, actually, the car landed very well. I mean, it was still on Bilstein struts at that time. Nothing, you know, not the edgy modern stuff that we've got now. It was a fairly straightforward strut, super strong. Bilsteins were great, but not the you know not the five-way adjustable suspension like we have now um uh, and i don't ever remember getting a big impact and being quite surprised but if you told me it was 80 meters i would tell me it was 250 meters i would have believed you i remember being in the air for ages i could have eaten a whole pastel donata and started on a second one do you know what you've reminded me of that fantastic McLean photograph of Yevgeny Novikov? Is it in um, Finland, Finland yeah. where yeah. he's so he, he was about three gears too high, yeah. mm. and the car in the, the car in the air, the brake lights oh. come on halfway through the halfway through yes. the flight as if he's trying to brake in the air, and that 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 whole kind of thing that I think about you trying to turn a corner oh. before the car's actually touched down is is quite scary. Yeah, yeah, Novikov that, on that jump. There's a few, <laughs> few, bra- few brain cells missing, never mind a few gears. Well, there's a few, a few centimetres of Denny Jurgen's height was lost in that jump. They put the photos no, up no, as, a, that, as, that as a, a sequence, didn't they? And and kind of after about three three shots, you see the, the brake lights come on and it's still about 10, 15 feet in the air. That was the co-driver in that car was Dale, Dale Moscat. Now, ah, the Jurgen yes, one right. was on the Uria jump. Right. was on the Uria jump, which was equally as... Bonkers, George, but that was a few years later mm. on Uria, I think. Right. Yeah, no, Novikov was Lustu, wasn't it? That, and it wasn't even a kind of a recognised bad jump. It was just that he decided that he could actually take it way, way quicker. But a, a, <laughs> a different, a different kind of jump, though. The 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 Fafé jump is it drops away, doesn't it, George? That the, the yeah, road falls away beneath you. So yeah. You you kind of fly straight rather than. It doesn't pitch. Yeah. It go. You go up into the air a bit, but also you just it, your trajectory. Yeah, you're, is you're, much you're more coming along. It's not. It's not anything like as as uh, steep up as it is down. So the, the road drops away after. Mm. You're coming along. You're not quite flat. You're going up a little bit. You come over that crest, and then there's a sort of the the road goes a little bit right, and then it goes you know a little bit more right just down just before that corner. Um, but I swear we landed down near that corner. I've no idea how far it is. I can't even remember the gear we're going actually, across. It. I, I, I mean, I was struggling. I can to keep actually my eyes give open. you. Let me give you uh, <laughs> the pace note for the corner before. Uh, and uh, I'm not completely prepared. It's written in my notepad here somewhere. I, I've lost it. I think it is six right, one fifty big crest, eighty four right. Or something like that. But what gets me is we've discussed this before is the fact that this iconic, massive, amazing jump that everybody in the whole wide world knows about, in terms of a set of pace notes, is a big crest or a big jump. Is nothing. And and you know that 
mm-hmm. it's incredible that you know the sort of business-like approach that co-drivers and drivers just take to this thing you know it's the jump at faf no it's a big jump just <laughs> See, keep no so saying david there's no you know big crest keep left smile for the cameras over big... <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's none of that no, they don't put that in frankly oh. i think pace notes need a bit more detail and a bit more narrative in them Cole. that's what they're lacking <laughs> a bit of a commentary oh, as well <laughs> but oh, you know what one thing one thing that george mentioned there and i think lise you might be about to lead us on to this is that um it was, you know, there is a huge number of fans out in Portugal, uh, and they are. You know, it's no coincidence that the fans in Argentina adore Colin McRae and the fans in Portugal adore Colin McRae. It's simply because they have this absolute passion for all things rallying, and, you know, they appreciated Colin's commitment and all of that and his love of the sport. George, you said there earlier that obviously in 2001, it was the number of spectators um, that brought about the end uh, of yeah, Rally Portugal. The weather, it uh, seemed to suffer a bit from the weather as well, sadly. It was technically, it wasn't. It was It was the weather the, um, that was the, the FAA's reason and the response to that weather. But just to put that into context a little bit, you know, Portugal had been in the WRC from the very beginning, since 73, yeah. uh, and, had run, and had grown with... Uh, uh, Cesar Torres was the guy who did you ever meet him? George? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this was the guy who ran um, ran Rally Portugal was the rally director and was the kind of the guiding light and the under genuine force behind it and some kind of bloke. I never met him, uh, and I think he died in the late nineties, ninety seven or ninety nine or something. Um, but he he was the man behind it, and when it all started. It was the TAP Rally Portugal, of course, and it was it was begun by TAP, the Portuguese national airline, uh, and it was part of their kind of social club. Uh, that obviously they ran the sort of TAP football team, the TAP table tennis team, and somebody suggested that actually they should have a rally for their employees. So this is how it started uh, as as just an event for TAP employees, and it grew into this huge thing. 1970, it was around the European Championship. 73, the World Championship, uh, and it grew and grew and grew. And Torres was also growing in his sort of political stature. He became, I think, vice president of FISA. He did. He was uh, for a and while. And then was yeah. he was he was, was a big president week. of of was president of sport um, in the FAA. And this, from what I can ascertain, talking to people there uh, over the years, this is the problem that they had in two thousand and one, was that Torres had gone, and you know his he he was essentially number two in the FAA. So. You know, remember 86 when there was a huge accident with Santos and he went off the road and and, and killed those yeah. three spectators at the side of the road. Maybe, I think there was four, there was a fourth yeah, person killed there, afterwards. There was, yeah. But but there was very little comeback on the event. Now, I'm not in any position to say there should have been, but that was, you know, the way that Torres dealt with it and his political influence mm-hmm. within the FAA potentially was, was part of the reason the event was... There was never a question about Portugal not running in 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2001, when they had those issues with the weather and they had those issues with the spectators, Torres was sadly lacking from that organisation to stand in the FIA and say no, you know, yeah. and essentially fight Portugal's corner. His, and for his me, wife was you know, running the event, ab- David. He's ru- yeah, really? Yeah, Teresa, I think. Teresa Torres, I think it was. Yeah. But, it, you know, it was an absolute tragedy um, that we lost one of the best rounds of the championship 
for for five years and then it came back in a place where it was completely unsuited okay you know algarve the roads around there down south were good mm. they're in- interesting but it was I a thought travesty. It really good yeah, I but it was it was really a travesty good. you know you talk yeah, to somebody like uh yeah. um our brilliant portuguese photographer friend um andre lavadinho you know lives up in porto and talk to him about it and he'll tell you that you know the rally was everything to that part of the world you know once a year you know you go back through the generations all the way back to the sort of late 60s it was everything to that to that region uh, and to just ship it off down south you know it's bonkers um, can i add a wee story into that can i add a yeah. wee story it's one, one of my very first memories from rallying uh, george it was when i was with bat yeah. 555 mm-hmm. and i was out on the monte carlo rally my first rally 2002 uh, with David Richards in David Richards' helicopter. I, I think it was Monte Carlo. It may have been Greece because we went out in a helicopter in Greece as well later in the year. But we touched down on the side of the hill. And at the time, remember, David Richards, he was obviously the boss of ProDrive and running the, the Subaru team, but he was also running the whole WRC. He was the promoter, wasn't he? Yes. We touched down on this hillside and he was recognised and we were besieged by what felt like hundreds of Portuguese rally fans. And at the time, I had no idea what the history was and what the backstory was. But we had to leave. We had to leave because it got so heated. These fans were so, so adamant that David Richard had to do something to get Portugal back in the World Rally Championship. And we left, and, and subsequently I found out the story about it being dropped in 2001. But that was my first introduction to Portuguese rally fans. And you could tell there the absolute passion of the fans just just from that one encounter but i i i wasn't on the event in in 2001 uh i was still working on btrda rallies and and mintex rallies in in britain then uh but george you were there yes. 2001 we we've said already that you know there were spectator issues of course there were but ultimately it was the weather now just to put it into context the week before uh the event uh, the the whole country had been absolute. It was a, a torrential rain, and the Hinch Ribeiro Bridge, which is 19 miles inland from Porto, had collapsed. Yeah, with um, the school bus because on it. of I the. Was, a, was that the one with yeah, the school exactly. bus on it? Fif- yeah, it, it was exactly yeah. 59 people killed, um, and it was an absolute tragedy. Um, and one of the one of the things that I would God, love to ask jinx. people about now is, why did the event run? You know, in those conditions, when the Sunday before the event that happened, you know, a huge national tragedy. Uh, and, and I've asked a few people who were around at that time, and they said that, you know, there was an awful lot of pressure brought to bear on the organisers to run the event. You know, they would make do, they would manage. Uh, and for me, that was all wrong. And ultimately, you know, perhaps this is part of the of the bigger bigger story that you know the the event was doomed to fail you know the the minute they started their service park in ponta de lima was under feet of water that had they overnight they had to find a new service park um and just you know george how bad was it, it on that it, event it, it was absolutely mm. horrendous uh, david absolutely horrendous the uh Basically, uh, Tommy, I think Tommy, if Tommy wasn't leading the, the championship going into Portugal, uh, he certainly was when he came out. Uh, but basically what happened was that the, the roads, are, as I said, are stone. They're, they're very solid roads, but everything was saturated. It had basically been raining there for six weeks, every day for six weeks. Now, the rain did stop on the last day of the event, as I recall. And it, it started to dry out and we started to get half-decent stages because the, 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 
obviously the, the everything's very well established. It's an old established country and not terribly much had changed, um, has changed in, in, in the countryside where we're running it. You know, it's it's a good solid place. Um, I don't know, I'm not, not, I'm not being eloquent enough here really, but the bottom line is uh, the roads became tram tram lines. And uh, and and the tram lines got deeper and deeper. So you were getting by the time you got to car eight, it was running on its sump guard all the way through a stage. I mean, genuinely, properly scraping its 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 backside, and bumpers, all the bumpers coming off. So then Tommy was first on the road, and we weren't doing that much double usage then, not as much as we do now. So um, Tommy got a clear run at it. Plus, we'd been quite. In, we were the only team that didn't use mud tires. Tommy had selected the tyres that we used. You had to nominate your tyres or you know, with Michelin and we'd taken the gravel tyre. But you were still allowed to cut it. And we'd tested with a, a, a central longitudinal cut, a very wide, deep cut right down, to the, right down to the bottom of the tread and it effectively made it into a double rallycross tyre. Well, this tyre worked unbelievably well. Tommy was totally confident. I remember at the press conference... We were being quizzed about it, saying this was a stupid decision, and given the conditions, you're completely knackered. And I just said, no, look, I've spoken to Tommy about this. I have the same concerns. And he's absolutely confident in all the tests. We find that tyre just as quick. But yes, the conditions were terrible, uh, but the event ran pretty well. There was a lot of fog. It was rain and fog. It was horrible conditions. Tommy had a horrendous time. I mean, I was on the phone with the clerk of the course all the time, literally every stage because they were all delayed all the stages were delayed i was on the stage saying you know tommy is now being asked to start in five minutes so there's not been a safety car through for an hour you can't be serious about it no no you must go i said i i am not wanting to go I, I don't want to let him go this is outside the regulations you must go speak to the steward and i would speak to the steward and i was told tommy must start the stage on the on the phone to tommy on the radio it would have been at that time tommy sorry I am absolutely told you've got to start the stage. Use, use your judgment. And Tommy was coming through and he wasn't hitting spectators because the spectators were under control, as I recall now. It was policemen, policemen in the road. He was avoiding policemen all the time. And, and there is some in-car footage of that that occurring. Uh, but Marcus Gronholm, he was running down about car number six or seven. They just couldn't get moving. There was no way you could get moving. They were running in a tram rail that was literally, you know, I, I would guess 400, 450 millimetres deep after five cars. It was horrendous. But, but you know, how, how was that acceptable? How was that that you could go in, uh, you know, call Rally Control George and be told, no, he's got to go? For me, that wrong. event was doomed to fail. It was, it was, it was absolutely very, very wrong. Jinxed. It was very wrong. It probably lacked the leadership at that time because obviously Torres was away. Teresa was effectively the event manager. She had a clerk of the course. I can't remember his name now. Nice enough guy, but he, he basically was going to run his rally, and that was it. And but equally, you know, the, somebody surely, you know, probably World Rally Team Association. That would have been perhaps Charles Reynolds or somebody. There. Oh well, you can imagine. Uh, you can imagine. Poor Charles. I was on the phone to him every minute, saying, "Charles, get your arse down there and and get this fixed." You know, and sort it out. Um, but yeah. you know, we, we were. Um, we were uh, an association, not a governing body, at a time when the rallying, rallying's own governing body was just starting yep. to come up to a strength point, but it was just prior to Bartos being involved, I think. 
But you do, you did, you did have a fairly solid block vote there, George. That if you got together with the teams and said no, you know, uh, we are not no, starting no, no. this you stage. Had, you had Peugeot. You had <laughs> you had Peugeot with the. Uh, with um, so there wasn't common no, agreement with Car- Carrado and Jean Pierre Nicolas. Whilst we got on very well with them, the, it was strict competition. If we'd said we're not starting this stage, you know, they would have started. Maybe they would have started, and and yeah, you you mm. you couldn't uh, you couldn't be on that solid ground. Uh, I have to yeah. say, chaps, we are heading rapidly towards the time we need to check into Park Ferme. But I did want to see if there was any uh, supplementary bulletin action that we need to add. Colin? Actually, I, I used to hate... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Beg your pardon, Lisa. Is Colin gone? Oh, he's there. No, no, Josh, go on. I mean, I, I don't have anything, really. I, but I heard that David oh. might have heard something. Did I? Had what I? were you yes. going to say, George, while David remembers yeah. what well, he was going to well, say? Whilst David remembers what he's saying, I'm going to say, I love the north of Portugal and I absolutely love the events. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and, I, and I thought that the moving to the south was a little bit disappointing and as I flew into, into mm. Algarve for the first time and looked down on the stages and went out for a drive around them, I'm thinking, well, actually, they've got great character, but it's not Portugal rally. It's just another gravel rally. But by the time we finished up down there, you know, Year after year, they ran a very successful rally that gave us great entertainment in, again, beautiful scenery. Once you get away from the coast and David's golf courses that he hates, you know, the food was still wonderful. The people were still nice. The countryside was, was softer than the north. The north's more mountainous so why did you dress and rocky. Like a golfer? South's gentler and, and rolling. Um, you know, we got a great, actually, we got George, a great sorry, rally I've, there. I've got a, it was a great rally in the I've south. got to take exception to that, actually, George. <laughs> the, the, the scenery was boring, the sunshine was too hot, and the food was overpriced. Yeah. In the alcohol. Uh, David, David. <laughs> and that answer, David, that answer, to that answer totally mitigates take my... To the, the man is a Philistine. He's a cave dweller. <laughs> he is, he is. And he's also, no, he's also no, got a No, how can memory. I be? How can I be when I, I actually want to get to the where the culture is and get away from the sunbeds and the sodding par fours or whatever you call Well, we it. still got a good rally, David. <laughs> we still got a good rally. It yeah, was we a did. fair competition. We did. And that good. That... That's one thing that I do want to say is that actually we talk about, you know, spectator issues in, in Portugal. We cannot leave this podcast without mentioning the work that Michel Mouton has done. Uh, in And, you know, it's Rally Portugal now, since it moved back up north in, in mm. 15, it has become the absolute benchmark for how to run a rally. You know, I'm not... When we first saw it in, whenever it was, 15, 16, 17, you remember when they implemented that incredibly draconian safety plan and they, they took in a whole... They bus-loaded police in uh, and they pushed everybody back from miles away from the stages and nobody dared move. Um, you know, I'm not sure... You know, there were... They, were the riot police there? I don't know. But certainly there was a very, very heavy police presence. And I remember the road that we used to drive up to to go into Exponor, into the service park. Police everywhere in this in this one year. I can't, I'm sure it was about 16 or something like that. And you kind of thought, whoa, this is way too heavy-handed. You know, there's no need for this. And I spoke to Carlos Barbosa and to Michelle about it. And they were both very clear. You know, it's the way it has to be. You know, we have to re-educate these. The, the fans in Portugal, they have done an amazing amazing job uh, and without doing that job we would have lost Portugal you know there is no way when you look you know you look on Dirtfish at the evolution of that jump that we've already discussed in Fafe look where the spectators were and look where they are now you know if I we think, yeah and I, I think David sorry David I, I think you're right I think I think it's you know Michelle 
Mouton has done an incredible job. She, she saved that rally, but she, there's other she rallies did. she saved. You know, Argentina, you know, yep. we, we think back to three or four years ago, when two or three years ago, when Robin Perra, remember on the final stage, had that horrendous accident in mm. the Skoda. You know, had Michel Mouton not been doing such a wonderful job, that accident would have resulted without any question in spectator fatalities because it was like the Wild West in Argentina. But I think, I think as well as Michel putting together an absolutely bulletproof safety plan, I think, you know, Bartos and the rest of the people who organised that rally, it was about just basically scaring the fans. They said, yeah, it's coming yeah. back. It's coming back to this part of the world, but it can just as easily disappear. And here's how it will disappear. It will mm. disappear if you don't listen to us. If you don't do what we're telling you to do, if you behave the way you used to behave, this will be our only year up north and then it will disappear. And my goodness me, because I remember being out and about trying to get between the stages, David, and it was incredible. It was because in, it was media that were included in all of this, uh, you know, this change in almost culture about how to get around to a rally. You had to be in two hours beforehand. You couldn't move on the stage. You had to have the right accreditation, the right passes. You know, the spectators listened. They listened and they, they took the whole thing personally. And it's, as you say, it's a kind of blueprint, I think, for the future. They became their own marshals. Mm. You know, they were pseudo-marshals, the spectators. If anyone dared misbehave, it wasn't the police they were scared about. It wasn't the, the, the tabarded marshals they were scared lynch. of. It was the other it fans. It was a lynch mob. <laughs> but, it, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it was also about the way the mentality and the way that they were placed. You know, if you look back at, yeah, that, at, that, at that accident with Santos in, in 86, that road in Centra, you know, the people saw him coming. They saw him sliding off the road and they simply couldn't move. Because they were 10 deep and there was nowhere to go. And he literally went straight through them. And you know that, the fact now that if you go back to that piece of road, there would be nobody near, you know, within five to seven metres of that bit of road. Yeah. He simply would not be allowed. The actual place where they were hit, they, it, it was on a straight bit of road. You know, he'd come through the corner, he'd yeah. lost it in the corner. Yeah. Um, and actually, they were pretty unfortunate. And you would have probably stood there on a normal day on a national rally because you'd have had room to move but this was the fact that you know they saw him come and they saw the car out of control and there was nowhere I mean, to honestly, go honestly you, and... you see that road now David it was half that mm. width back then because of the spectators yeah the, the spectators exactly. were 12 deep um, and they were there was only a tiny little track in the road but Portugal wasn't the only rally like that it was one of the worst ones but you know you went to San Remo it was the same you went to Greece it was the same um, mm. you went to Corsica it was the same um, lots of Monte Carlo, the same San Remo, the same. Even GB, not quite GB. We tend to stand on the other side of the ditch because the road's narrow. Um, but but that's just a circumstance. It wasn't because uh, the British spectators were better, you know. So it, it, but, I mean, it was at the time. I that's am, what it was. I like. am going to have to. I, I'm going to have to there draw a veil over this because I think we could go on for for so much longer. But we're hitting the hour mark now, chaps, on this edition of Spin the Rally Pod. Unless you have a vital point that cannot wait to be I, made. I'm intrigued to know what the point I was supposed to make in the supplementary. Yeah, David. Board. David, well, you you <laughs> mentioned something that I'd not read about, and I read everything about apparently Bottas testing some cars. Oh, oh. that's going to be a totally separate podcast. Yeah. Is it definitely? Right. Was that this week? Because I think I think that's going to be a lot of talking, and we will not fit it in because we are on an hour already. So we're going to have to stick that I th on I, the notice board for the next. I time thought round. that was a little bit on the down low, Colin. Have we just said that on the podcast? What, 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 what? No. Uh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, hang on a we'll second. Let, let, let me just let me just sign off. Hang on. So, if you want to follow us, follow us on Twitter at Dirtfish Rally. If you've got any questions or any ideas for future episodes of Spin the Rally Pod, but as ever, chaps, it's been an absolute delight sitting here talking rallying with you. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about proper rallying actually happening now and not rallying in the past. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank thanks, you, Lisa. Thank you. Lovely. Right, I have so to stop now. I, sure. Yeah, I thought that was confidential. I will.